verses 1 to 7, which basically serve as a preface to the whole book. In particular, they are specifically a preface for really the first nine chapters, because the first nine chapters, if I remember, if I remember telling you, were written by Solomon in particular. And so verses 1 to 7 are a preface to those first nine chapters, but really can be a preface to all of, of the book of Proverbs, okay, when you see what he's trying to tell us here. So we're going to look at uh, the first seven verses and discuss them today. So let's get into it. Let's start with verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise, and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, so we're going to spend our next section here really looking at the preface here and try to, some of these things are going to seem kind of theological to you, but some are going to be practical to you. So let's first of all look at the literary form. He's going to tell us what form of writing he's writing in. And the form of writing is Proverbs. The form of writing or the genre of writing here is Proverbs. Now let me explain something to you. So when you read Proverbs, you're going to read Proverbs differently than you would read the Gospels. Does everybody understand that? Because you're talking about a different form of writing. When you read the Proverbs, you're going to read it differently then you're going to read, say, the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is a historical book. You don't get very much doctrine out of the book of Acts, because Acts is really a, a historical look at what happened to the church. You're going to read Proverbs differently than you're going to read the epistles, because the epistles are basically instructions to the churches. You're going to read it differently than you're going to read the Revelation or the Apocalypse, because it's apocalyptic literature. So it's a different type of writing. So the form of writing is Proverbs. Now, you're saying, okay, now what is a proverb? So here's my next one. A proverb is a brief saying or longer discourse of wise, insightful pronouncements. Basically, in layman's terms, it's just a wise saying. It's a piece of wisdom. A proverb is just a wise saying or a piece of wisdom. And remember, we talked about it last week. When you look at the Proverbs, it's not a promise. Because there's no guarantees with the Proverbs. Does everybody understand? There's no guarantees with them. But they're basically a brief saying or a longer discourse. So sometimes they may be very brief or they may be a longer section, several verses that is of wise, insightful pronouncements. 
actually what you're going to find here in verses chapters 1 to 9 is, is that the discourses or the Proverbs are actually longer sections in the first nine chapters. When you get beyond chapter 9, then you're going to find that you're going to have individual Proverbs, which are like a verse. But when you look at chapters 1 through 9, you're going to see that they're longer sections. The Proverbs are actually sections. Sections. So, for instance, you've all heard of the Proverbs 31 woman. What you're going to find in the first nine chapters is I think there's a Proverbs 6 woman, too. She's the adulteress. And the sections that describe her are actually very long. Are actually very long. So, just want you to point that out. Now, let's talk about who the author is, because I think it's very evident. The author identifies himself as King Solomon, the son of David. Now, um, everybody look at your Bible there. Is there a possibility that it's a different author? Look at verse 1. Is there a possibility that there's a different author here? And some of you are laughing. You say, what are you getting at, George? Well, some scholars actually believe that he didn't write this. He didn't write this. But I think very evident from the passage itself, if you're going to take it as literally true, that at least chapters 1 to 9 are written by who? Solomon. So I want you to note, just kind of put a note there, that the author is only with reference to chapters 1 to 9. Because okay, remember, I told you there were different chaps, different authors for different sections. Most of it was written by, by Solomon, but this particular nine chapters, chapters 1 to 9, are written by King Solomon, the son of David. So now let's get into the purpose of the book. Let's get into the purpose of Proverbs. Why is he writing this? Why is he writing this? So look at verse 2 now. And uh, let me read it to you again. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive words of understanding. So here's a general statement of purpose. Here's the purpose of Proverbs. Here's why you and I have Proverbs in our Bibles. The purpose is to acquire knowledge in right living and to gain mental insight. See, that's the purpose of Proverbs. The purpose of Proverbs is to help you to live right, to give you wisdom from, really, the smartest man in the world. Does everybody understand that? If there was ever a brainchild, it isn't Albert Einstein or any of our current brainchilds. It was King Solomon because he got his wisdom from who? God gave him wisdom in answer to his prayer. God gave him, remember, he had, a, he had a dream, and in his dream, God came to him and said to him, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want. And he asked for what? Wisdom to govern Israel. And God was pleased with that, because he said, look, if you had asked for gold, I would have given you gold. If you've asked for enemies, I would have given you your enemies. But you've asked for wisdom. And so he gave him wisdom, plus he gave him all the other stuff that he could have asked for. So he was the wealthiest man on the earth. There hasn't been anybody like Solomon since. Not even Bill Gates. Well, you know what? I think I just read this week. Bill Gates got passed by a Mexican. There's a Mexican in Mexico who's now even wealthier than Bill Gates. 
And I think he's 60-some billion dollars rich. 60. What do you do with that? Anyhow, so here's this author, and he's telling us that the purpose is to for you to gain knowledge in right living, but not just to gain knowledge in right living, for you to gain mental insight into life. See, wisdom is the ability to look at life and come to a proper conclusion. Does everybody understand? Wisdom is the ability to look at life and come to a proper conclusion. So it's to give you insight. So that's the general statement. So then when we look at verses 3 to 6 now, he's going to expand that general statement. He's going to expand upon verse 2 and, and, and kind of flesh it out for us. So look with me now at uh, verses 3 to 5. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Okay, the first thing I want you to know just for the section is this. These verses elaborate on the qualities of life that must be acquired for leading a wise life. So when we look at verses 3 through 5, we're going to look at qualities that must be attained or acquired in order for you and I to live a wise life. How many of you want to be wise? Raise your hand. Everybody wants to be wise, don't they? Well, when you look at verses 3 to 5, he's going to tell you what you and I must do, what we must acquire or attain in order to, what? Lead a wise life. Lead a wise life. Now, let me just stop for a moment. We're not talking about being a wise guy. Everybody know what I'm saying when I say about being a wise guy? You know, that's somebody who, you know, that's almost a derogatory term. It's say, you're just a wise guy. We're not talking about that. We're talking about you having wisdom. Wisdom. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Let me ask you a question. Having wisdom, is that the same thing as having a lot of knowledge? No. So I want everybody to understand. Because you can be an educated fool. Does everybody understand that? Have you ever met an educated fool? Yeah. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Who have a lot of knowledge, but really what? Yeah, no common sense, nothing. See, what I want you to understand as far as the Bible is concerned, wisdom is not necessarily a whole bunch of knowledge. Because wisdom pertains to what? Everyday life. Does everybody understand that? Okay, that's part of it. Yes, did you hear what Ken said? Ken said that wisdom would be how you use the knowledge that you have. That's right. The proper use of knowledge is what Betty says. That's good. See, what I want you to see is, so don't think, well, you know, I don't have any education. Look, I've met a lot of folks who didn't have any education who were very wise. Very wise. And I've met a lot of folks who have more degrees than you can count who were very dumb. They had a lot of knowledge, but they had no wisdom. So I want you to understand that. So let, when we talk about acquiring wisdom, we're not talking about you just soaking in a whole bunch of knowledge. We're not talking about just soaking in a whole bunch of knowledge. So let's talk, first of all, look at verse 3. 
the next thing I want you to see there is it's instruction in life reflecting moral standards of justice, judgment, and equity. Wisdom, for you and I to gain wisdom, it's being instructed in life. Now, you can take that one way or another because life will teach you stuff, but is it necessarily good? No, our culture will teach you how to live life, won't it? No, but what he's talking about here is that if you and I are going to acquire wisdom, we need to learn instruction in life that reflects moral standards of three things. Number one, justice. Number two, judgment. Now, justice is different than judgment in that it's, that there are two different things. Judgment is being able to make what? Uh, being able to make decisions in life. And then equity. Now, does anybody know what the definition of equity is? Here's what it means. Fairness. Fairness. So as I am seeking to become wise as far as God is concerned, I'm going to be instructed in life in a way that reflects moral standards of justice, judgment, and fairness. See, that's a wise person. He understands life with regards to those three things. With regards to those three things. Then look at verse 4 now. He's going to talk about giving prudence to the simple or young man. So let's talk for a moment. I, remember I told you that the, that the Bible, the Proverbs describes people in three ways. It talks about the wise, the foolish, and the simple. Those are three descriptions of people throughout the book of Proverbs. So here, the first one I want you to see is this. The simple refers to a person. The simple refers to a person who is naive or untaught. The simple refers to a person who is naive or untaught. Let's just see what, you might be saying, well, isn't that a foolish person? No, no. Remember what a foolish person is. A foolish person is someone who refuses to learn wisdom. And ultimately, a foolish person is one who does not believe in God. Now, when you take a simple person, the simple refers to a person who is naive and untaught. So, for instance, notice with me, when you look at verses 4, there's almost a parallelism there. To give prudence to the simple, and what's the next line say? To the young man, what? Knowledge and discretion. So what you're going to see here is, is that the writer here is equating the young man with what? The simple. So, for instance, I want you to think back to some of you guys here for a minute. Right now, all of you men here are wise. When you look back to when you just got out of high school, now you thought you were wise back then. Right? Isn't that true? You thought you knew it. You thought you knew more than your parents did. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, as you look back, would this be a fair description? That you were simple? Because in a lot of ways, you were what? Naive, 
And what? Unlearned. You weren't experienced. You hadn't been around, you hadn't been through the ropes enough yet. You hadn't been beaten up on enough by life. So, the simple refers to a naive and untaught person. Here, you can write this down. The simple refers to an immature person. Someone who has not grown in maturity yet. Now, have you ever noticed that there are some people who, even as they get older, they continue to be simple? You ever notice that? So, you, I mean, it doesn't just refer to a young person necessarily, but it refers to someone who's just plain old naive and someone who's unlearned. Now, here's another definition for it. So the simple, then, is he is one whose exposure to life and wisdom has been limited. He is one whose exposure to life and wisdom has been limited. So when I think back to me, 21, 22, 23 years ago, I may have thought that I was smart and ready to move out on my own, and I did. But the problem was, is what? My exposure to life was what? Limited. Because my exposure to life was only what my parents allowed me to be exposed to. And my wisdom, as far as life, was what? Pretty what? Pretty small. Everybody agree with that? Would you think back on your life? See, that's the simple person. The simple person. Now, here's the other part of him. Here's the other aspect of him. Because of inexperience, he is what? Gullible and easily influenced. Gullible and easily influenced. In fact, you know, our society makes fun of that, don't they? They, they talk about the, the country guy, the country mouse that goes to the city. And, you know, and how gullible the country guy is in the city because he hasn't experienced life there. You ever seen that kind of illustration? You see it a lot of time in writing. You see it on television. You know, where you're out in a simple life and you go into a city where it's complicated and that person usually is gullible or inexperienced because he hasn't experienced that. Well, what we're talking about here for a simple person is in reference to life in general. In general. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. You ever notice that we will grade people on maturity level? So, for instance, when I was a single person, I always noticed that married people treated you different. Because it's like you hadn't got any knowledge. Because you're not married. So then, I get married. Then I notice I'm still being treated differently because I don't have any kids yet. And it's one thing to be married, but until you have kids, what? You're, you're still pretty immature. And you, you notice what I'm talking about, that kind of progression there? Then you have kids, and then it's like, well, you don't have any teenagers. And you don't know what it's like until you have teenagers. Well, I already know what's going to happen because I see the progression. I'm going to have teenagers, and the next thing is, well, yeah, your kids aren't married yet. You're not a grandparent. And so there's this constant level of what? Maturity and experience based upon what life has thrown at you. 
And, and so, inexperience, you know, you're, you're gullible. You have no clue. You have no clue. All right. Now, therefore, Proverbs gives sensibleness to the simple. Proverbs gives sensibleness to the simple. So when you and I read this book, this is what Solomon is saying. Notice what he says there. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. So you and I are going to get sensibleness from reading this. So again, I want you to note, simple is often used in the Proverbs, but most often it's not to be equated with a fool. Okay, because a fool is something different. Now, still looking at verse 4 and 5. A young man is a parallel statement for, re- for the simple reflecting an immature youth. So we're looking at here that a young man is a parallel statement reflecting an immature youth. And with that statement there then, prudence, prudence then is expanded with knowledge and discretion. Prudence is then expanded with knowledge and discretion. Look now with me verse 5 and 6. A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Okay, so here's what he's saying. In these two verses, he's saying this. The wise, or men of understanding, are called to grow in wisdom and learning. The wise, or men of understanding, are called to grow in what? Wisdom and learning. Now, I want you to put a star by that statement. And above that star, I want you to write this down. This is my calling. This is my calling. Does everyone here understand that this call to the wise is your calling. God wants each and every one of you, including myself, to grow in wisdom and learning. Does everybody understand that? He wants you to be a mature person. He doesn't want you to be simple. He doesn't want you to be gullible. He wants you to be mature concerning life. And so what we see here is a call for each and every one of you here, including myself, to grow in wisdom and learning. To grow in wisdom and learning. That's quite a calling, isn't it? Now, notice something. He's not calling you to be an egghead. Some of you are saying, thank goodness. But he's not calling you to be an egghead. 
He's not calling you to have a bunch of degrees. Do you ever notice that it's wrong? Do you ever notice that in our society, we, we judge people these days by whether or not they have a college degree? Have you ever noticed that? you ever notice that? Can I tell you that's not biblical? That has no place in the church. Because wisdom is not judged by how many degrees you have. Wisdom is judged by your maturity concerning what? Life. Life. And so again, you might have a guy who has a college degree, but he might be a what? Simple. A lot of times he might be what? A fool. Because he doesn't believe in God. See, the calling that all of us have are, is to wisdom concerning life. Not to a bunch of knowledge. Not to a bunch of knowledge. In fact, remember this. Go all the way in your mind, if you want to, you can write this down as a reference. 1 Corinthians 13. Where Paul says, if I, have all, if I had all the knowledge of the world, verse 10 paraphrase, but no love, what? Nothing. See, just knowledge for the sake of knowledge is what? Emptiness. Emptiness. But our calling is for you and I to be wise, men or women, I should, should have put women there, women of understanding who are growing in what? Wisdom and learning. Wisdom and learning. Okay, now let's look at the theme of the book. Verse 7 if you want to, is the theme of the book. This is the theme for the entire book of Proverbs. Verse 7 is the theme. If you want to understand the book of Proverbs, verse 7 will give it to you. Look at what verse 7 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here's the prerequisite. If you're going to be a man or woman of wisdom, here's the prerequisite. First part. A reverential fear of God is needed for understanding of wisdom. A reverential fear of God is required. It's needed. For understanding and wisdom. So, for instance, you might see someone who maybe is knowledgeable concerning life and has a lot of wonderful things to share, but if they don't know Jesus Christ, are they truly wise? They may have some wisdom, but are they truly wise? Why? Because a reverential fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is needed for somebody to truly be wise. Because I would say they're close, but they're not there. Why are they not there? Because they don't truly understand because God. Because of Jesus. So, in order, so, so my wisdom then, here's the problem. My wisdom then, it's not a problem, it's a key. My wisdom is hinged on my what? Relationship with who? With God. So again, do you have to have a college degree to be wise? No, you have to have a relationship to be wise. See, what's more important, a college degree or, or a relationship? Yeah, a relationship. See, that's the theme. The theme is, is that a reverential fear of God is needed for understanding and wisdom. So, okay, let me ask you this. What does the fear of the Lord mean? Right there. 
Right there in your book, there's a question. What does the fear of the Lord mean? Okay, did you hear what he said? It's when you know the Lord, you know what he's capable of. You fear him with the respect of knowing what he's capable of doing. So, for instance, how many of you feared your daddy when you were growing up? Was that just reverence? How would you describe that fear? You understood that he was the authority. And if you crossed the line, he would lower the boom. That's what we're talking about here is a reverence, a fear of understanding who God is. God, not just as your buddy, because there's no fear in having a buddy, is there? See, that's what I think is missing a lot in Christianity today. We, we, we swing at pendulums. We go from one extreme to another. And the extreme that's happened, and it was a good, good thing, and that was to, to stress the relationship with Jesus, but I think we've swung too far over with the relationship thing that we've forgotten that Jesus is not your buddy. He's a holy God who brings judgment. And he will judge sin. And he will chastise us if we do wrong. We've got to get back to the balance of having a loving relationship with him, but also recognizing who he is as the holy God, worthy of all praise and glory and honor, who will judge sin. And so there's that reverential. So why is that the controlling principle of all knowledge and wisdom? So if we understand the fear of the Lord, what it is, why is that the controlling principle of all knowledge and wisdom? Why is that the controlling principle? Okay, Bruce says it puts knowledge in perspective. Your first priority is to have a knowledge of God. Okay, that's good, Bruce. Anybody else? Why is the fear of the Lord? Why is that a controlling principle to gaining wisdom? Anybody? It's not that hard. You don't have to have to think of a deep, deep answer. How do you think that's a controlling principle? Okay, it gives you direction for your life because you know that there is somebody who's what? That I answer to. Who's in control. Do you understand? There's somebody who has set what? Parameters. There's boundaries. Okay, did you hear what Mike said? That was great. It takes the pressure off. Because you realize you're not it. See, the beginning of wisdom is to understand. Here's the thing. The beginning of wisdom is to understand you're not it. You're not the center of the universe. Do you understand? You're not the center of the universe, so all the pressures of life don't have to be on you, and it brings freedom. Because you recognize the beginning of wisdom is that there is someone who's in control, and it isn't me. See, that's what the problem with our culture is. Our culture says there is no God. The center of the universe is who? Me. Me. And see, true wisdom comes with an understanding of the fear of God, that he's in control. Now, verse 7 then tells us another aspect of the theme. It's concerning wisdom despised. And you're going to see this a lot, too. A fool is one who, being stubborn and dull, despises any form of wisdom. A fool is one who, being stubborn and dull, despises any form of wisdom. How many of you have ever met or talked to an atheist? 
Would you say stubborn is a good adjective to describe this? Because they flat out, whether you can prove it or not, they don't want to what? Believe. And do you remember the scripture? A fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. Do you understand? So fool here refers to an unbeliever. So here, let me just explain something. Three Hebrew words are translated fool in Proverbs. One kind of fool is characterized by a dull and closed mind. He is thick-headed and stubborn. That's what one word refers to. The word occurs more frequently in Proverbs than the other two words. It's used 49 times in this book. By his laziness and short-sightedness, this kind of fool rejects information from others. Another word for fool is Nabal. Do you remember Nabal from from, uh, Samuel? It's only used three times in Proverbs. And it refers to one who lacks spiritual perception. One who lacks spiritual perception. It's only used three times. And then the third kind of fool is arrogant and flippant, as well as mentally dull. He is coarse and hardened in his ways. This word is used 19 times in Proverbs and only seven other times in the Old Testament. It refers to somebody who is arrogant, flippant, and mentally dull, coarse and hardened in his ways. So the fools in one seven are those who are arrogant, coarse in their ways, who reject God and wisdom. That's what's being used here at that word. The one who is arrogant and flippant, who's coarse in his ways, who's hardened his heart, he rejects God. That's what he said. And that's the theme. The theme is is that we understand that to gain knowledge is what? The fear of God. To gain wisdom. But it also tells us what? That the person who's flippant, who's arrogant, who's coarse, who's hard in his ways, what? He despises it. And we're going to see that. Okay, we're done. Next week we're going to get right into it. We're going to look at verses 8 through 33. And the call to heed wisdom. The call to heed wisdom. Okay, let's close our time of prayer and get ready for the morning worship.